0: So before we get into it, I'll open us up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come and uh, listen to your word. Uh, we pray that you be with us as we open the word and we look at what you have for us, Lord, that uh, you guide our hearts to focus on you. In your name we pray, amen. So today I'm going to talk about something that has uh, been on my mind for quite some time. Um uh, we're gonna be talking about the old testament and its purpose for uh... christians um, it's used in many ways a lot of times and it seems that in the modern church there's often uh... many misconceptions and misuses of it um, doesn't mean that it's always misused but there are some very common ones um, sometimes people think that the old testament is almost exclusively for the nation of israel that there's a separate way of salvation for them um, and the gospel is for us. Uh, In fact, I ran across a uh, Twitter page this week that was uh, claiming that uh, the gospel of grace is for the Gentiles and the gospel of the kingdom was for the Jews and that it's a completely separate gospel, which, of course, is false. Um, And, in fact, uh, this was seen uh, in a very uh, prime example in the early church. Um, There was a belief known as Marcionism, Uh, which was built from the teachings of a man named Marcion. Um, It was a heresy where he believed that uh, the Old Testament uh, presented a God that was different than the New Testament, an entirely separate God. Um, He acknowledged um, a shorter version of the book of Luke and ten of the letters of Paul. But he taught that the Old Testament God was an evil demiurge that created a defective world of suffering and that the uh, New Testament God was one who sent Jesus to reveal the truth and save humanity uh, from this uh, evil God of the Old Testament. But just a casual reading of the scriptures would prove that this is nonsense. In Genesis, we see God creating a perfect world, and the scriptures present not a corruptly created world, but a corrupted world, uh, cursed by man's sin, not by God's design. When Jesus arrives, he affirms the Old Testament as authoritative and builds his teachings upon the already established law. While most people within the church likely do not uh, subscribe to such heresies, uh, there does seem to often be a lack of understanding regarding the primary subject of the Old Testament. Uh, It's often seen merely as a collection of stories. Uh, We'll find a story, relate it to our life, and move on. Uh, David and Goliath becomes a story only about beating our giants in our life. Uh, The sacrifices given in the Old Testament were just a temporary fix for Israel until Jesus came. The Passover is merely an account of how God pulled the Israelites from Egypt. And nearly every story about an Old Testament hero is seen uh, primarily as a story intended to show us how we should live and how we can make a difference. Now certainly we can learn from these stories. We can look up to David and Moses and Daniel as examples for godly living but that is not the primary focus of these passages and without focusing on that primary meaning there's so much that we're missing out that god has given us in the old testament so we might be thinking what is their true meaning what are the stories really about what is the greater meaning well jesus tells us what the meaning of these scriptures is in luke chapter 24 verse 27 uh, jesus appears to some disciples on the road to emmaus and they do not recognize him this is after his resurrection And he talks to them, and verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, of any conversation in the Bible, this is one I would love to have been a part of. Uh, Jesus just goes through all the scriptures discussing how they are about him, and he proves that all of the scriptures are in reference to him. And again in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40. uh, Jesus is speaking to those who are denying him, and he says that uh, you search the scriptures uh, because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is them that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He says that the fatal flaw that these people are committing is that they're reading the scriptures absent of their true meaning, which he says is him. So where can we find Jesus in the Old Testament? Now, of course, this this topic can be studied intensely for years and while only scratching the surface because it's such a deep topic. But for today, we'll take a look at some of the key points of the Old Testament that really show us what it's about. Uh, we're going to go through some stories and just kind of look at the greater meaning of them and how they point to Christ as a way to show that uh, all of the scriptures point to Christ. Uh, before jumping in I'd like to add that many of the examples that we're going to look at fall within a study that is known as typology this is similar to foreshadowing um and Hebrews ten one mentions that the law was a foreshadow of the good things to come not the full reality um typology is uh like I said kind of like foreshadowing so you have what's known as types images in the Old Testament that point forward to who Christ is um typology is kind of visualized theology. Um, An example is that the sacrifice is slain for the sins of Israel. They depict Christ, who is slain for our sins. Uh, This is done because God has sovereignly directed history to provide depictions of Christ for us. Uh, This does a couple things. One, it provides a better understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. Many people learn visually. I know I do, for sure. Uh, And God in his providing these uh, examples of typology in the Old Testament, they can assist our understanding of who he is. Um, And it's actually to the point that to fully understand who Christ is, we really should look into the Old Testament um, and learn about him through that as well as the New Testament. Another thing it does is it also serves as a proof of the divine nature of the Bible. All Scripture is written in a way that points so clearly to Christ that it cannot have been made up without the guidance of God. All of the Old Testament was written from hundreds to thousands of years before Christ, and yet it all points to Him. So with that said, we're going to get into some examples. And like I said before, um, this is kind of a brief survey of many of the points throughout the Old Testament. Um, Each of these points can be studied very deeply, and each point could actually be a series of studies um, and still not go to the depth that is really there uh, but for the purpose of today we'll go through some of these points and uh, look at them uh, just kind of on the surface uh, because the goal is not necessarily to look into um, a specific point and s- study all the depth of it but it's to look at all of the points um, kind of as a proof that all of the scriptures point to Christ um, so the first one in Genesis, we get the, the, the account of creation and the fall. And in this account, we see God create a perfect world. Uh, but through man's sin, it is ruined and death is introduced and the world is corrupted. Uh, after this happens, in Genesis 3-7, we see the man and woman try to cover their nakedness with leaves. It shows that they are trying to fix the issue themselves. Uh, and then in verse 15 of Genesis 3, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he's speaking to the serpent here. He says, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is him speaking to the serpent, which is Satan. And here God is promising an offspring that will come and deliver a devastating blow to the serpent. Yet he will be hurt in the process. Notice the difference between the head and the heel. The serpent is stricken on the head where uh, Christ is stricken only on the heel. Uh, So from this point on, we are to read the scriptures with the anticipation of the Savior that God has promised. After this promise is given, God shows that their own attempts to fix the issue with leaves is not sufficient, and he kills an animal to clothe them in skins. Uh, And so for the first time, we see blood shed to cover sin. Already three chapters into the Bible, we see the promise of a coming Savior and the shedding of blood to cover sins. We move on from here to the next chapter in Genesis 4, uh, describing the story of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. Um, In chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, we see that Cain works the ground and offers fruit to God. But Abel tends the sheep, and he offers a lamb to God. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Now, the scripture doesn't specifically mention why. Why? But the most likely reason seems to be that Cain is offering the work of his hands and that is unacceptable to God, but Abel is offering a lamb which is acceptable to God. And so this offers another picture of the Savior to come. In Noah, uh, which is accounted in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, we see humans are extremely sinful, which brings upon the wrath of God. But while his righteous wrath is being poured out, he provides a way to be saved. And those who are saved are saved through their association with Noah, who is a representative of the Savior to come. Now, before moving on through Genesis, we're going to look at Job. And the reason I put Job here is because, chronologically, the book of Job actually fits between Noah and Abraham. Um, It fits right there in the middle of Genesis. And, in fact, um, it's well believed that the book of Job was actually the first one to be completely written. Um, So it's important to see this picture as one of the earliest pictures of the Savior to come we see here in Job um, Job wants to plead his case to God and in uh, chapter 9 verses 2-3 through 3, he says how can a man be in the right before God if one wished to contend with him one could not answer him once in a thousand times he acknowledges that he would not be able to uh, plead his case to God because he's only a man he's unworthy to stand and stand before God Uh, But going further down in verses 32 through 33, he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Now, here the word arbiter can also be uh, translated as a mediator, one standing between God and man, uh, providing that uh, connecting link between them. Job acknowledged his inability to be right before God and his unworthiness to plead to him. He understood that he needed someone who could stand in the middle, representing both God and man, who could make things right and reconcile man with God. And we see this clear picture right here already given to us in the oldest book of the Bible, thousands of years before Christ ever came to earth, and we already see this picture painted for us. Now the the next picture we'll look at is actually mentioned in Hebrews um It is the king known as Melchizedek, or some may say Melchizedek. I'll say Melchizedek. Um, This uh, story is seen in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 24. Uh, He is the king of Salem, which is very possibly uh, a, a precursor to Jerusalem. And he is also a priest. Now, it was not common at the time for a king to also be a priest. But we see Melchizedek show up, and he's both... And he comes bearing bread and wine, and he blesses Abraham. Um, In the story, there is no genealogy following Melchizedek's ancestors or descendants, and there is nowhere recorded uh, about when he died. So, at least in the literary context, he has no end, which seems to represent Christ's eternal nature. Uh, Moving on to Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. Uh, This is a story that's very controversial. There's many opinions about it because it does seem odd at first. Uh, God commands um, Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And there are many uh, explanations people may have for what the purpose of this is. Uh, But I believe the main purpose is God is again painting this picture of the Savior for us. Uh, They go up onto Mount Moriah and a ram uh, is provided instead of Isaac before Uh, Abraham is able to sacrifice him. A ram caught in the thicket is provided in his place. Um, So we see that God himself provides the sacrifice in the place of Isaac. Uh, And in verse 14, it says that Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Um, And so the location that um, this happened is actually where Jerusalem now stands Um, which really is interesting that says, On the Mount of the Lord it shall be provided, that thousands of years later, Jesus comes and uh, provides that sacrifice um, in the same area. Um, So then we move on to Joseph. And uh, his story is accounted in Genesis, again, um, chapters 37 through 50. It's a very long story compared to some of the others. uh, And he has a lot of similarities to Christ. He's a beloved son of his father, He's rejected by his brothers and sold for silver. He's stripped and tied up. Um, He left his high status and became a slave. He's tempted yet prevails. He's faithful in all that he does. He's wrongly accused and left to die in prison. And then he's condemned with two criminals, and one criminal is given life and the other is given death. And then he's brought out of this prison and placed in a position of authority. And in, in that happening, he saves many from certain death. And in all of this, he brings harmony to the family of Abraham and forgives those who acted against them, saying that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is one of the clearest pictures of uh, Christ in the Old Testament. We're already seeing uh, everything that he goes through, and yet he comes out, is given authority, and, and saves many. Now on to the Passover in Exodus chapters 11 through 12. Death is promised to come, and the only way to escape is to sacrifice a lamb. It must be perfect, and its blood must be spread on the doorposts in the home, and this will cause God's judgment to pass over the people. Throughout Israel's history, this festival has been practiced commemorating the original event, but it's also, more importantly, it was looking forward to Christ, uh, who fulfills that lamb that uh, causes death to pass over. Uh, throughout the book of Exodus and Leviticus, Um, God uh, establishes many things through Moses. Um, They establish many uh, roles, festivals, um, and and they build many artifacts. And they all have representation of Christ in some way. Uh, The high priest, he's a representative of the people who speaks to God on their behalf. He's like a mediator. Uh, But this high priest, he's a flawed one. He's a man just like uh, any of us, and he must offer sacrifice even for himself. Um, The sacrifices offered, um, there were many types of sacrifices, but mostly they were offered because of sin, and we see that blood must be shed to atone for their sin. Uh, The tabernacle, which is later uh, the temple, there's a holy place and a most holy place. This is where God's presence dwells among his people. It's a place that's provided where God can be among them, but there's still a separation there due to their sin. Um, And... Access can only be made to the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, which is another one of these festivals that looked forward to Christ. On the Day of Atonement, it was the only day that the high priest could step into the most holy place, which was directly in God's presence. But this could only happen after certain sacrifices were made. There would be a scapegoat, and then a goat that was offered for their sins. Um, their sins would be off, or their sins would be placed on the scapegoat, and then it would be sent out into the wilderness, and the other goat would be uh, sacrificed for their sins, both of these goats representing Christ. Um, And after this happens, then the high priest can stand in God's presence. Uh, The bronze serpent is in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Because of the people's sin, God sends judgment by way of serpents, Uh, but he provides a way to be saved by having Moses build a bronze serpent and lifting it up for the people to see And it is those who look to the serpent who are saved. The whole book of Joshua accounts for us, uh, the person of Joshua, and he's also mentioned in the book of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, And Joshua actually has the same name as Jesus. Joshua is the English transliteration of the Hebrew version of the name, and Jesus is the English transliteration of the Greek version of the name. Um, And Throughout the uh, Joshua's story, we see that he faithfully served Moses before leading the people into the promised land, just as Christ was fully obedient to the law before leading his people to salvation. Joshua leads the people in the destruction of Jericho, which is a seemingly impossible foe. And under Joshua, Rahab, who is a Gentile, is saved, just like under Jesus all Gentiles can be saved. We see David, uh, King David, who... Uh, was named as the greatest king in the Old Testament because he had a heart after God. Um, we see his story in first and second Samuel and a little bit in first chronicles as well. Uh, David is he's a shepherd and then he's a king. He's born in Bethlehem. He's anointed of God um, and uh, keep in mind here that Messiah actually means anointed one. So we see Jesus is the anointed one, but uh, David is also anointed of God. Um, David's son was to build a house for God, just as Christ is building the church. Uh, David is often merciful to his enemies. Um, But the most uh, well-known story regarding David probably is his defeat of Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now this is often preached in a very man-centered way, that we are David, we have giants in our life, and with the right faith we can slay them. And not to say there's no truth there, but the main purpose of the story is not that. Uh, the story we should look in a more Christ-centered way. David is representing Christ here, slaying the giant of sin and death that we cannot. We are the Israelites that are uh, standing back, scared to attack the enemy, unable to defeat him, but God sends someone uh, who can take him down for us. Uh, In the book of Psalms, which many were written by David, uh, and many of these Psalms are actually known to be what's called Messianic Psalms. Uh, They're Psalms that are actually pointing forward to the Messiah. Uh, One of the greatest of these is uh, Psalm chapter 22, uh, which opens up with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you know the uh, gospel accounts of Christ's uh, crucifixion, this sounds familiar to you, uh, because he said this when he was on the cross. Um, An interesting fact to keep in mind here is that uh, back in those days, there were not... uh, chapter and verse references so very often the rabbis of the day when they would reference a specific psalm or a specific passage they would use the first line of the passage as its title to reference it Um, so when Christ is on the cross saying my God my God why have you forsaken me Um, his intention is that we think about the entire psalm here not just the line that he's mentioning and in this psalm in verses 16 through 18 we read for dogs encompass me A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now keep in mind, this was written thousands of years before Christ, and yet right here is a depiction that is so similar to Christ's crucifixion. Uh, But if you go on and read the rest of the psalm, towards the end of it, all the nations of the world are praising the God of Israel. Now at the time this was written, this would have been a huge claim because uh, the nation of Israel was very small and relatively insignificant in uh, world affairs. And yet the claim here was that uh, through this thing happening that's described in Psalm 22, all the nations of the world would praise the God of Israel. And as big and almost impossible of a claim it may have seemed, we see this has been fulfilled as the gospel is spread to all the world. Um, Throughout the prophets, there's so much there. So we're only going to look at a couple things, Um, but the prophets speak of Jesus uh, so much. And again, there's still hundreds of years prior to Christ. Um, Isaiah has many uh, uh, portions of his writings known as servant songs. Uh, There are little portions of the text that are speaking of Jesus who will come later. Um, But the most well-known of these is Isaiah 53. And... uh, the climax of this is in verses 5-6. through six. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is such a clear presentation of the gospel of Christ, yet it's written hundreds of years before he ever uh, became a man on earth. Uh, In Ezekiel, in chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, we see the account of a valley of dry bones that God shows Ezekiel. Uh, And he tells Ezekiel to prophesy over them, and the bones come to life and are given new bodies, uh, and God breathes life into them. Uh, So here we see God bringing life to to the dead. And of course, at the time, the picture is not as clear, but we see this happen through Christ that God brings life to the dead. Uh, And then one of the minor prophets, Jonah, he spent three days in the fish just as Jesus spent three days in the tomb. And Jesus in the Gospels even mentions that uh, his death in the tomb and resurrection uh, is a fulfillment of the sign of Jonah, where he spent three days in the fish and then uh, was brought out of it. Uh, But unlike Christ, Jonah despised God's grace towards sinners, and he wanted to die because of it. But in contrast, Jesus wants to die to provide grace for sinners. And there are so many others, uh, other examples throughout the Old Testament. There's so much there that would, there would never be enough time to cover it all in one session. Uh, there would never be enough time to cover it, likely in a lifetime. But these are many examples throughout the Old Testament that show us that um, it's all in anticipation of the coming Savior. Um, so seeing all these pictures, we might think, how did Jesus fulfill all these Well, 400 years after the Old Testament is completed, Christ comes onto the scene. He fulfills it all. Uh, Through his teachings and the later teachings of his apostles, we learn about who he is and how he fulfills the scriptures. Jesus comes onto the scene and he shows us that he is the promised offspring who crushes the serpent's head. He is the sacrifice that is acceptable to God. He is the ark that provides salvation from judgment. He is the mediator that stands between God and man who reconciles man to God. He is the priest king who brings the bread and wine and blesses. He is the ram that's provided in our place. He is the one who is betrayed and rejected, defeats temptation, and is given authority and provides salvation. He is the Passover lamb whose blood turns away death. He is the high priest, but he's a flawless one unlike the ones before. He is the temple who is God with us. He is the scapegoat and the sacrificial lamb, taking our sins and being slain on our behalf. He is the one who has lifted up, providing salvation to all who look to him to be saved. He is the faithful servant who destroys the unbeatable foes and provides salvation to the Gentiles. He is the anointed shepherd king born in Bethlehem, defeating the giant of sin and death that nobody else could. He is the fulfillment of the psalms and prophecies of a promised Savior. He is the one who brings life to dead bones, both physically and spiritually. And he is the one willing to die to provide grace to sinners. So as we look at all this, uh, I'm reminded of a quote by uh, the theologian Augustine, also known as St. Augustine. And he said, In the Old Testament, the new is concealed, and in the new, the old is revealed. And we see here that the person of who Christ is is defined uh, from the Old Testament. and the Old Testament, it almost functions as a long question, asking who will save us from our sins. And we find our answer in the New Testament in the person of Jesus. I'm reminded of the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, almost as if the Old Testament asks, What can wash away my sin? And the New Testament answers with, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as we've looked into these images of Christ in the Old Testament, we should not stop only at understanding how these images function, but we should follow them as they lead us to Jesus, as they lead us to the foot of the cross. The primary message that all the scriptures are pointing to is that of the gospel. Now many people may consider themselves to be good people, as I once did, but the Bible leads us to realize that nobody is good, as Paul makes clear to us in the book of Romans, especially chapter 3. We may think we're doing well, but think, have you ever stolen anything, anytime, regardless of value? Have you ever lied, no matter how insignificant it is? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever in any way dishonored your parents? And God looks deeper than just our surface behavior. He sees our hearts. You may have never murdered, but Jesus said, "If you need only, uh, you need only to be selfishly angry with someone to have been, uh, to have committed this sin." And you may have committed, you may not have committed adultery, but Jesus said that if you look at someone with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. When we think of these things, an honest evaluation of ourselves will prove that we are not good, but we are in fact selfish and wicked, and the Old Testament works to affirm this for us. Our sins require punishment. God is just, and he cannot let sin go unpunished. Uh, And so, therefore, all humans, we deserve the wrath of God. But he's also merciful, and he desires to save mankind. And so this tension must be resolved that we're deserving of his wrath, but he desires to show us his mercy. And the answer to this is Christ. Christ is God in human flesh. He lived the perfect life that none of us could, And then he took the wrath that he did not deserve, but that we did. So that because he was seen as sinful and took the punishment, now we can be seen as righteous through him. For this to happen, we're commanded to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. We must trust in him and not our own works to be saved. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And this message we see so clearly in the Old Testament, that time and time again, man tries to fix his problems and fails. But through it all, God promised a Savior, and that is fulfilled in Christ. This is the gospel that all the scriptures point to, and Jesus fulfills that. So uh, anybody must look to Christ for salvation. We must realize that because of our sin, we're deserving of God's wrath. But because of his love, he provided a way out. He took the punishment that we deserve. And if we only believe in him, trust in him for our salvation and repent of our sins, we will be saved. And so before we go, uh, I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for the word that you've given us. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us so clearly that we can see who you are. We thank you for the sacrifice that you've given us, and uh, we just pray that you'll be with us, uh, that maybe if any of us uh, have not placed our trust in you, Uh, that you'll lead us there, and any of us that have, Lord, we pray that you uh, work in us to be thankful for what you've done for us. Uh, We just pray that uh, you lead all of us to focus on you as we look through the scriptures, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.